0: year's sermon. I just typed in uh, 2017. If any of you were here last year, you'll know this was not it because last year I preached on "It Is finished, so I can just tell you this is not last year's sermon. I just want you to know that. In fact, today I got some fresh revelation for you that I want to share with you. So (laughs) Tom's excited about it anyway. Amen. You know, I had somebody in the foyer this morning. It was Jim, actually. William said to me, why do they call this Good Friday? He said, I have a theological question for you. And uh, why do they call this Good Friday? And I said, well, you know, that's a really good question. And I said, because uh, there weren't many people uh, that were followers of Christ who would have thought this was a good Friday uh, on that first Friday, would they? Uh, The Roman uh, soldiers probably thought it was a good day because they finally got the restless Jews to be quiet as they crucified the ones that they felt deserved crucifixion. And the religious leaders of the day probably said, this is a good day. This is a good Friday because finally, finally we're going to get some... uh, Some peace and quiet and get some, uh, uh, you know, of these Jewish rebel rousers, uh, you know, in order and get them in line. And uh, the mobs who were chanting for Jesus instead of Barabbas, maybe they thought it was a good day as well. Uh, But for those who were followers of Christ, who went into hiding afterwards, who, you know, spent the day, you know, either denying Jesus or hiding from the, the, the governments and stuff, this was not a good day. And if you can imagine, they had thought in their limited understanding... They had thought that Jesus was coming back to set up a whole new system of government, a whole new leadership, a whole new world order. And then instead, they see their leader, the one that they'd placed all their hope in, crucified on the cross. Wasn't a good day. Wasn't a good day. I'm quite certain, in fact, that uh, it wasn't considered Good Friday uh, on Saturday, and even when the resurrection happened on Sunday, there was probably very few people who would have articulated that Friday had been a good day. It probably wasn't until uh, Jesus appeared to many afterwards, and even maybe to the day of Pentecost, when the birth of the church took place, that finally they were able to look back on Good Friday and go, wait a minute, that was a good day. That was the day the price was paid for my sin. That was the day that blood was shed for me. Amen? That was a good Friday, and it's been Good Friday ever since. Amen? Amen? It is indeed a good day. Well, today, I want to give you some uh, uh, fresh understanding about Good Friday. Uh, you know, it's always challenging for, for, for pastors, uh, you know, Christmas, uh, Easter, and uh, those two celebration times of the year, because for the most part, I think, most people who show up at church have heard the stories before. So you say to yourself, all right what what God do you want us to say? And so we try to dive in and dig and find things that maybe are in our limited understanding that we don't quite get uh, about it. And sometimes that's not hard because we live with a very Western mindset and we miss a lot of the things that are in Scripture because of the Eastern mindset, the Hebraic mind, and the way things were uh, actually in that day and they're very different than the way things are today. And so this morning we're going to see some stuff in that that a story that is historically uh, going to be revealed to us this morning that we wouldn't understand, per se, because we're raised in a very Roman Western world and not in a Hebraic world. Everybody say amen to that. So there are some principles and practices in the Bible that we, like I said, totally miss. And uh, some of that imagery is difficult for us to grasp. And one of those things this morning I want to talk to you about is the Threshold Covenant. The threshold covenant, or the uh, covenant of the door. All right? Threshold covenant, or the covenant of the door. See, in the ancient East, when a host came, uh, we became aware, I should say, that somebody was coming to visit, and it was somebody that they wanted to honor, somebody that they wished to value, then they would pour some blood on the threshold of their door. The, that seems kind of odd to us. You know, we can't imagine killing a chicken and spreading some blood on our front entrance. That seems rather <laughs> barbaric to our western mind seems very strange to our our western mind but the sign of the blood being sacrificed was a sign to the guest that they were being invited to pass over into the house to come in and visit and uh this step across the blood threshold and enter it was a uh, an invitation of hospitality and since the blood on the blood on the threshold represented the life of the host then the greatest insult you could do would be to step on that instead of crossing over it. Uh, it would be dishonoring. And uh, that understanding of things is rooted uh, in Scripture. And I wanted to show that to you this morning even, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Listen to this verse. It gives you a whole new understanding of it when you think of the threshold. It says, oh, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he, will he be thought worthy who was trampled the Son of God underfoot, and count, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. You know, trampled it underfoot. Why, why that expression? What does that phrase mean? It's a reference to the, the threshold covenant that it would be a, a, a thing where if you stu- stepped on that blood as you crossed the door, you were treating it contemptibly. You were treating the blood contemptibly. And so the understanding coming through in the scripture, even when uh, the writer of Hebrews was communicating the, the, the imagery of how people have treated lightly the sacrifice of Christ. They've trampled it underfoot. The imagery would have been clearer to a Hebraic mind, even if it's lost on us. But you have to understand that this is something that was deeply entrenched in Eastern cultures and uh, in Syria and Egypt when a newcomer arrived, blood was slaughtered of an animal and put across a threshold and then the newcomers were considered adopted into the family when they crossed that threshold. Even today in Liberia, West Africa, a common custom among the tribes is to kill a fowl and sprinkle the blood upon the threshold when a a stranger arrives. In Russia today, an honored guest is received with bread and salt after he crosses the threshold of a house and a man always crosses himself, they would cross themselves and they walk through into the house. Uh, that happens even today. In Finland, homes are built with very high thresholds. This is to make sure that you don't step on the threshold when you come in the house, but you step over it. Tradition influenced by the, uh, the, the, this tradition being passed down by for century after century after century. And In much of Arabia today, to step on the threshold rather than over it is to show contempt for your host. It's considered bad etiquette. The threshold is revered as sacred. And even today in our culture, you'll see when you go to hotels and stuff, they'll often have a, a marble threshold at the door that's raised up a little bit. And you think, why did they put that stupid thing there? I trip over it every time I go into the room. But it was because of the tradition to, to cause you to step over it rather than on it. And, uh, you know, uh, it's very interesting when we think about this, that this has is, is influenced our culture right to this day. So when you cross the threshold of a home, you imply covenant with those within the home. Entering the house of any, in any other way brands you as a thief. So if you don't come in appropriately, over the threshold, if you sneak in the back door or come through the window, you have only other, an intention to bring harm. And uh, when you look at the scripture in John chapter 10, verse 1 and 3, this takes on a whole new meaning for you as well. When Jesus said, most certainly I tell you, one who doesn't enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But one who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so, again, the reference to making the entrance properly, crossing that threshold, going by the the door rather than some other means, was so rooted in culture that it influenced so many scriptures that we would not even think of otherwise. And this is another example of it. And you have to understand how deeply the... Life of covenant is rooted in that culture as well. We take covenant so lightly today. You know, we take it so lightly in our culture today. But in in the East, covenant is the rock bed of civilization. When you make covenant, you are are establishing yourself uh, in relationship with someone that's considered unseverable. It's not something that can be broken. And yet we just, we treat all covenants kind of like just a, a handshake, you know. Uh, here today, gone tomorrow. That was not the way uh, in the culture in which Jesus was born. And when a uh, covenant was made, uh, that covenant was binding, and it was binding for life. And we know that God made covenant with us. Several covenants with his people. God never broke his covenants, but the people broke the covenants, right? You can go back as far as, the Adamic covenant, when Adam was, was uh, created, and God made covenant with man, then you go forward to Abrahamic covenant, and the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, and many times God made covenant with his people, but his people broke the covenant, but God always kept his side of the covenant. Amen? And now we, the Bible says we have a new and a better covenant through Jesus Christ, and he invites us to keep our half of the covenant because he has already afforded his half of the covenant by giving his son, Jesus Christ. And if we will receive uh, that partnership with him, that covenant relationship with him, there is a whole world that is open to those who will walk in covenant with their king. Amen? And I want to help you see some more of that this morning. Praise the Lord. So covenants uh, in the East, though, uh, were ratified by the outpouring of blood. And this is a hard thing for us to grasp again in, in our Western mindset, largely because uh, our culture is more steeped in Egypt than it is in the Hebraic culture. You see, for us, uh, blood is, is a symbol of death, but for the, the Jew, blood was a symbol of life. Right? Do you understand? And so much of our culture, you know, whenever they want to advertise something as being scary or horror, what do they do? They write it and blood with letters dripping down, and because blood symbol, symbols death. It symbols darkness. It's, it's, but in, in Hebraic culture, blood was a symbol of life, right? Blood was a symbol of life. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says this, For the life of the flesh is what? In the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. The life is in the blood. And this is so foreign to our thinking that so many things in Scripture get missed by us because we don't understand that for the Hebraic mind rooted in God, life was in the blood. Not death, life. In the Egyptian culture, it was death. But in the Hebraic culture, it was life. And life was in the blood. So the blood poured out on the threshold was representative of the life of the host. The life of the host. And it's still that way. In many parts of the world today. And if the guest was lightly esteemed. Then you would sprinkle the blood maybe of a pigeon. But if the, if the guest was more honored. And esteemed. Then you would maybe fill the goat. Kill the goat I should say. Or the fatted calf. And you would spill that blood. But if you were expecting royalty to show up. Then you would slaughter what? The sheep. Right? The lamb. And you would, cel- you would celebrate the entrance of that king with the blood of the lamb. And the host, by receiving the guest, then, here's an interesting part. In the current of the culture, once you receive that guest into your home, then you are obligated for that guest's well-being. Do you guys remember the deranged story of Lot? When the angels of the Lord came to him in Gomorrah? And uh, then the people of the town, perverted people of the town, uh, asked for Lot to give up the, the angels, uh, the, the beings that had come to the, to the town as visitors, so that they could have sex with them. Do you guys remember that twisted uh, story in Genesis? And do you remember Lot's response, as bizarre as that seems? He said, No, I won't. He treated them even better than his own family. He said, no, I won't, because the understanding that he'd made covenant with those people, when they crossed into his home, they were under his protection. He would not give them up. Hard for us to grasp, but it shows you how seriously they took the covenant relationship that was now made by the bond of blood as they crossed through into their home. Does everybody follow this this morning so far? You're saying, okay, I get that, but what's that got to do with Good Friday? Well, now I'm going to help bring it together for you. I want to talk about the significance of the Passover lamb for a few minutes. So if we look at this custom of threshold and how it applies to the Passover, I think you're going to get some fresh understanding this morning uh, of Good Friday for us. In ancient times, it was also common practice for the king to travel throughout his land and for him to uh, check on his uh, loyal subjects and to rid the land of any of his enemies. And usually the king would travel with a large entourage, maybe some diplomatic emissaries, different people traveling with him. They would show up at your village. And then what would happen is that he or one of his diplomats would come in and inspect your home and visit your home. And he would would pass over. That word is used in the Hebrew that he would pass over the threshold uh, of a loyal home. And and if if they had uh, invited him in, uh, it would be indicated how. If they wanted the king to come in and visit their home, how would they indicate it? How do you think? That's right. They would sprinkle blood on their, their threshold. And then the king would be given the invitation to come in, or one of his emissaries, and then he would visit their home. And any home that did not sprinkle the blood on the threshold then was considered to be an enemy of the king. All right? And so the king's primary way to know which families were receiving him was the blood on the threshold. Now this understanding of of the practice of a king in those days is critical to us understanding the scripture, and even to understanding the Passover in Hebrews chapter 12. I believe that the events as we've been taught them about the Passover have been kind of backwards, and I want to show you that this morning. So you got your seatbelts on? Here we go. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12. Okay, Barry just put his on. Exodus chapter 12, verses 22-23. And listen to this this morning. And you shall take a a, a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike, and the basin, by the way, this was interesting, and I forgot to put the photo of it up there, but the threshold of the door of a Hebrew house had a bowl in the middle of it for which them to put the blood. So that that was, the basin it's referring to is the basin in the threshold. Okay? And it says, and you would take the, the, the blood in the basin, and uh, like I said, threshold, basin, very bottom of the doorway. And none of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over. And that word, that paschath that you see there, is that word to step across the threshold. So the Lord will pass over the threshold or the door and not allow the destroyer to come into the house to strike you. Are you catching this this morning? Are you getting this this morning? I don't know about you, but I was always taught, I was always taught that the avenging angel of death that was released on the Egyptian people that day was there to come into the house and to destroy people. And if you saw the blood, he would just pass by your house. But the significance of the story is this, that the Passover is a reference to the King of Glory. The Spirit of God would visit visited Israel on that day, and any place where there was the blood invitation, the threshold covenant was established, he would pass over and into that house, and his presence would keep the angel of death from coming into the house. Amen? His presence kept at bay the evil. The evil could not come in because Jesus was in the house. The Lord was in the house. Amen? That's what the scripture tradition is actually about. And the Hebraic mind would have understood that. I put the blood on the door. Why do I put the blood on the door? Because it's the invitation for the king to come in. And when the king of glory comes in, the enemy cannot come in. And therefore, the death angel had to pass by. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We, when I read that, my mind just was blown. (laughs) Blown. I don't know, but you were blown. I said, Lord, Lord, how much more are we missing in the Word? I got to read this Bible again. This is something amazing to me. Hallelujah. Whoa. God told Israel that when he saw the blood. When he saw the blood, that he would pass over. That Hebrew word is the same word that they use in the threshold covenant. He would come into your house. He would pass over the threshold. And then the angel of death would have to pass by. Whoo, baby. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Another further observation to this this morning. Let me show you. Mm-mm-mm. Check this out. Uh, let me get past that. I already preached that. I was excited. I'll just now look at the bottom there. When you look at the doorpost, the lintels. So the bloods in the threshold bowl, but then it's put on the sides and the tops, right? All right. So look at this. This is the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's called a chit. I don't know if you can pronounce that. I, I had a hard time. You have to suck it back in the back of your throat. It's spelled S C H E T, but the C-H is the sound from Bach, and it's eighth, height, height, something like that. Uh, I don't speak Hebrew very well, but I was looking it up, and uh, obviously where we get eight from is from heat. But anyway, this is, this is the eighth letter of the alphabet. What does that look like to you? Does that not look like the doorway? And look, the strokes are like the strokes of a paintbrush, strokes of the blood, and this is the letter that the word life and the word living starts with in the Hebrew alphabet. It is, it is, the, it is the word of life. It is the, considered to be the letter of life. It is also the letter of new beginning because it's the eighth letter. So you have the first seven letters representing the first seven days of creation. And on the eighth day, God started this wonderful life of covenant with mankind. It is the day of life. It is the day of man. It is the number eight. And this is the number of his covenant with the threshold clearly marked out in symbol of the Hebrew language. Oh, my word. I don't know about you, but I'm already excited. Praise the Lord. We ain't even got Easter Sunday yet, and I'm already excited. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whew. So when we look at the lintel and the doorpost, like I said, it creates that number eight. The number eight of life so that the angel of death would not come in. Hallelujah. Wow. God made manifest through the blood of Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. He was the guest in the house that night. And when the guest was invited in, the enemy, the angel of death, could not come by. The house was protected. The angel would know the blood of the creator and would not harm those inside. Wow. Wow. So let me ask you this this morning. I'm going to wrap things up. Like I said, someone said to me this morning, did you know that Pastor Mark was done at 1130 on Sunday? <laughs> really? I heard that. he was not... So I thought, well, I can beat that. I'll I'll be done before 11:30 today, and uh, so if we're going to get some kind of a competition going here, but uh, anyway, (laughs) Uh, let me. uh, So, let me ask you this question: Which picture of Passover, which picture, and understanding describes you? Which one describes you? Do you perceive God? As someone you invite into your home, or someone that you ward off to keep out of your home, is God to you this God who wants to destroy, who wants to kill, who's the angel of death ready to wreak havoc on you unless you do all the right things? Oh, and so you put the markings of Christianity on your the door of your life, and you say, "Okay, God, I'm I'm marked. I'm I'm, I'm marked. I've I've done all the right stuff. My doorpost. See it. So don't come in and don't kill me." Is that the way you view your relationship with God? Or do you see that instead you've taken the blood that's been applied to your life, and by applying his blood to your life, you've invited the king of kings to come in. And he's crossed over the threshold, the door of your life, and stepped into your life. And there he has taken habitation so that the enemy no longer is invited to come and wreak havoc in your life. No longer is he there to destroy and to maim and to kill. But the Bible says, no, I've given you abundant life. Abundant life. You know, un- tragically, so much of Christianity is lived in the, in the old understanding of Passover. Where we get the marks of Christianity, the marks of the gospel, so that God won't smoke us. Won't take us out. I meet so many, tragically, I meet so many Christians that that's how they live their life. I, you know, I just, gotta, I just do the right things in, in hopes that someday, God, just someday... Maybe I'll make it. Even if it's just by the skin of my teeth, I'll make it in. And you'll have mercy on me. But even, even in the Passover, that was not the story. Even in the Passover, the story was, invite me in. Invite me across the threshold. I'll come in. And if I come in, if the king of glory comes in, then the enemy's not allowed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe we get some of these foundations right. We can change the way we live our Christianity. If we can get our understanding of the fundamental things. that When Jesus died on the cross. And his blood was shed for me. That the application of that blood to my life is an invitation to Jesus to come into my life. And when the king of glory comes in, the enemy is kept on the outside. That is what happens when I invite Jesus into my life. That the, It's not a protection against God. It is God taking up residency and fortifying my spirit against the evil one. It is God positioning me for for success, God positioning me for life, God positioning me for liberty, because he is in me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Who would have thought all the way back, even pre the Passover, this understanding was in the culture, and we just don't get it, because we don't think that way. But how many know sometimes God's got to reorder our thinking? Amen? God's got to change our thinking so that we can comprehend how wide and how high and how great is the love of God for us. Praise the Lord. So let me ask you the question this morning. Have you accepted his invitation? Have you accepted the invitation of Jesus? I mean, he wants to cross a threshold into your life. He wants to take a residency there. He wants to apply the blood to your doorposts of your heart. And if he takes up residency there, it's not insurance against God. It's it's instead fortification in your spirit for life so that you can stand in opposition to the enemy. That's what it is. Because the Bible says the enemy, he comes like a thief to sneak in any way he can, to rob and to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life, and you might have life more abundantly. (laughs) That's the invitation today. That's the invitation today. That's what Jesus purchased on the cross for us. His blood was shed so that we could have him cross the threshold of our heart and live within us and empower us and give us the opportunity to literally change the world for the glory of God. That's his passion. That's his desire. That's what he wants to do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The writer of the Hebrews says that we have a better covenant It's based on better promises. We've invited the Messiah across the threshold of our heart, and he has crossed that threshold. He lives within us, and he indwells us by this presence. And the enemy of our souls, the angel of death, must, everybody say must, must pass by our household when we're under the blood. Because we're under the blood. Aren't you thankful this morning? Aren't you thankful this morning? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The king of kings is in the house today. The enemy has to pass by. I don't know what you're battling today. I realize that life is filled with all kinds of challenges. There are so many challenges today. And our culture is very different. But the truths that we see that are evidenced in the culture are just as true for us today. Because they've been enacted and they've been empowered by Jesus Christ. And he, he knows. He knows what we're facing. He knows the scenarios, the situations, the difficulties that we face today. He knows every one of them. He's not surprised, caught off guard, going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? He doesn't have those kind of moments. Never. Jesus has a way. He is a way maker. He has a way for you. But can I uh, 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 just implore you today that the way is to embrace the Christ. Embrace the Christ who makes you the invitation and you say, come, come. And you let him take up that residence in your life. And never, ever, 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 ever again doubt that he loves you. That he, he has crossed the threshold of your heart his blood has been applied to the doorposts, and you have protection from the enemy. You might say, "Well, yeah, but you don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what the enemy's throwing at me." You're right, I don't. But I know that God is bigger than everything the enemy's throwing at you—bigger, yeah. more powerful, more capable. Bigger in every way is the God that we serve. So, as we gather around this table this morning, we celebrate communion on Good Friday. Because it's Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember my death. Remember what I gave for you. So on Good Friday, we remember what Jesus did for us. And if you're visiting here this morning, this is not about church membership. This is not about, you know, oh, this is a desert stream thing. This is a body of Christ thing. And so we just invite you to participate with us. We may do it differently than the church that, you know, you regularly attend. That's fine. Um, But what we do is we'll, in a moment, we'll be have our leadership up here. We'll be standing here with the emblems of his broken body and his precious blood. We'll ask you to break off a piece of the loaf, take a cup, return to your seat, and then we'll all participate together uh, after everyone has been served that way. But it doesn't really matter how we do it. What matters is what we're remembering. We're remembering the blood that was poured out on your behalf. And I forever want you to understand that that blood is not insurance against God and his wrath. That blood is, <laughs> represents the life that's come in. Hallelujah. And forever the enemy is the one that's got to pass by. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. I'm going to call the uh, leadership forward so they help hand out the emblems here today.